You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Colton Molesky, and on the line, I have a special guest. He's been crashing my podcast for some time, but now he's an official guest. Tom, Tim, why don't you introduce yourself? Excuse me. It's all good. You're so used to talking to Tom Schreier, I understand. I know. He, uh, he's Tim, my usual co-star. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Tim Fakeless. I'm an editor and Tim Rule's beat guy for zone coverage. Uh, I write about the NBA at large for Sporting News and the host of Wolves Wired. I was a part-time locked-on co-host for a while. And, yeah, that, that's kind of my general gist. And we will be bringing all kinds of content via the airwaves and written content on zone coverage all season long for the Timberwolves. But right now we are in the midst of the preseason, and I don't know about you, but I'm so excited to see some actual basketball after all the speculation of the Timberwolves. Even if it's preseason, I'm super excited to get underway with this. Yeah, it was good to just see. Like I was at media day, and I saw the players in uniform and all that. It was good to see them actually play real basketball against real basketball players, run sets, play defense jack up some bad shots you know typical jamal crawford stuff but overall <laughs> it was fun to watch and I'm, I'm glad it's back and that brings me to the discussion at hand which is their first game of the preseason against the lakers which was last saturday they won the game which is always a good start even if it doesn't really mean too much in the long run they won the game 108 to 99 over the lakers and you have a really good article. Everybody should go check it out on Zone Coverage, the five knee-jerk reactions you had to the game. I wanted to delve into all of them, but I wanted to go into, first of all, Wiggins' defense because I feel like that was one of the big things with the contract that he has on the table and looking at the young guys that they're building this team around. His defense was one of the things a lot of fans want to see improve. And uh, reading your article and just from my personal thoughts on the game, I thought he looked pretty good defensively. Obviously, uh, Brandon Ingram is a guy who's developing as well, and he was playing against him a lot of the time. But I thought he looked pretty good defensively. Yeah, he looked looked more polished. He looks like he uh, has improved just kind of working angles. I mean, to preface, Brandon Ingram, as you said, he's he's developing. Uh, There were talks about whether or not he had gained weight. I think on media day, he was one of the muscle watch guys that he had gained X amount of weight. Uh, standing next to Andrew Wiggins, it does not appear as though that is correct. Uh, but <laughs> regardless, Brandon Ingram shot 4 of 15 in 22 minutes, threw up as many shots as he could, assuming Luke Walton wanted him to just go out and fire. Uh, but Andrew Wiggins held his own. He played well on the perimeter. He closed out well. Uh, I used a, a highlight from early in the game where there was a – I don't want to call it a fast break, but it was it was in transition, and Andrew Wiggins angled himself off perfectly. In the past three years, Wiggins had always been liable for getting into foul situations on plays like that, and he didn't there. And I want to see him play against an elite guy before I say that his defense has definitely substantially improved. But like you said before, this is a knee-jerk overreaction article, so I had to write about it, and it would be great to see that type of defense going forward. Well, and that's one of the plays, too, where you can take a, just a little bit more of it. Uh, again, it is a preseason game, but you can take a little bit more away from it than the usual play just because it's one of those where he's using 
his basketball IQ as opposed to just raw talent to compensate for a guy trying to make a move or make a shot on him, which is something that we need to see from him over the course of a season, obviously. But it's good to see that maybe that's where his head, his head is at in a basketball game is that he's thinking about the angles and he's positioning himself and putting himself ahead of time in a good spot as opposed to trying to compensate for maybe a bad angle with his raw athletic talent. And that's something that if that is a trend, not just a a one game thing that could be really productive for Wiggins, especially because now, as we've talked about at nauseum, he is going against the second best player on a team and Butler's going to take that number one guy. So having those angles will just make him even more of a defensive threat already compiled with the fact that he's going to be going against a less athletic guy already because Butler's going to pick up that guy. Yeah. I mean, that's perfectly said. And I think having Butler there just to, when Carl Anthony Towns was a rookie, he had Kevin Garnett to watch. And that was, like, Towns' rookie year was his best year defensively thus far. Obviously, he's going into year three. Wiggins has never really had anyone like that. He had Corey Brewer his rookie year, but he's never really had anyone to watch how to play defense properly. He's never played against, or next to, rather, a, a lockdown defender. Jimmy Butler is that guy. Uh, for Cat, now he has Taj Gibson next to him. Uh I think just being able to watch them and how they do it, how they communicate, how they angle their bodies could be huge for them going forward. And you talk about Taj Gibson, and you mentioned him in your article, uh, the corner threes that he was shooting. I am already sold. Let's have Taj Gibson just post up in the corner and wait for him to knock down jumper after jumper. Yeah, well, I mean, I like him in the post too because he's a great offensive rebounder. But, yeah, no, I totally agree that, the problem with the starting lineup going in, especially with Taj Gibson being the signing, was he wasn't a floor spacer. That's why people like me, I know Tom, I know David Naylor, uh, Zach Bennett, a bunch of people at zone coverage and just all around just NBA media were a little iffy on the Taj Gibson signing because while he brings you rebounding defense, toughness, communication, he's not an offensive threat. He's definitely not a three-point threat, uh, or at least that was presumed. After one game, uh, he goes two for two from three. He's made four threes in his career in 35 attempts. So we'll see if that's what's going to happen going forward. But I would imagine that Tibbs wouldn't want him shooting threes in the preseason if he didn't expect that in the regular season. If you noticed, Gorgie Jang didn't take any threes at media day. He said he's not worried about taking threes. That's not really part of his plan for this regular season. I don't think anyone even thought to ask Taj that question, whether or not he's going to shoot threes (laughs) because no one expects him to do it. So, if he's able to space the floor, that would be huge because that more or less gives you five guys on the floor in the starting lineup that shoot threes. None of them are particularly uh, dead, dead-eye three-point threats, but having five guys that can spread the floor is going to make it a lot easier for Wiggins, Towns, and Butler to do their thing in the middle. Well, and I like the idea of him kind of setting an example as the old grizzled vet that he's willing to go and shoot threes from outside. I like him setting an example for Gorgie, who has – well made it well known that he doesn't really want to shoot threes I like the idea of both those guys hanging out in the gym and Gibson shooting threes and maybe Gorgie starts to knock down some threes as well just because when you're hanging around a vet and you you know you're supposed to be emulating what he's doing because he has it figured out just by way of being in the league long enough maybe that rubs off on Gorgie too that he's going to start shooting and I'm not saying he's going to be a perimeter threat or be knocking down all these threes but that he has that in his offensive game to kind of expand the floor for the Timberwolves I like that idea as well yeah I mean what I saw from that first game 
the the backups, the bench, which looks like it's going to be at least initially Tyus, Crawford, Shabazz, uh, Bielitsa, and Gorgie. The, the top four, one through four, point guard through power forward, are all guys who are going to shoot threes. If Gorgie plays more, almost like a Kevin Love when he was here, plays on the elbow, kind of facilitates and is the main option or alternates with Shabazz, uh, I'm okay with him not being outside because the other four are probably going to be on the perimeter for the most part. If there's ever a situation that calls for him moving up to the perimeter, I don't think he has a problem with that. But I'm assuming that his wording came from talking to Tibbs and working out a strategy of how, what his role is going to look like. And, I mean, talking about Gorgie, I saw, I think Jace Frederick had reported that Gorgie had more or less said just the greatest thing that a player could say who's losing their starting job, which is basically, I'm not worried about starting, I'm worried about getting wins out for the Wolves. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was it was perfect. It was wonderful, and I loved it. Moving on to one of the other additions that the Wolves had in the offseason, you were really high on Jeff Teague after game one. What are a couple of things that you saw him do that you really liked in that first preseason game? I was high on him offensively. Uh, defensively, he still uh, left a lot to be desired for me, which I knew coming in. That's fine. Uh, we talked about Jimmy Butler taking the team's best option. Wiggins is going to take the team's second best option, which could be a point guard some of the time. Teague's going to be hidden a lot because he's going to take the third best option defensively. But offensively, I've been so used to Ricky Rubio, who is a great offensive player in terms of facilitating. He picked up the shot towards the end of the year. But Jeff Teague can shoot. He can catch and shoot. And he's really crafty. Jim Peterson described it really well. Uh, He plays off the pick and roll masterfully because not only can he like pass the ball when the guy's rolling when it calls for it, but he can finish inside or he can shoot if the guy decides to roll off and there's a miscommunication defensively. Uh, he's He really knows exactly what to do, and I'm assuming his time in Atlanta, uh, you wrote about it a little bit when you covered the point guards at zone coverage today, but he's played with a smart offense before. He's played with Al Horford, who uh, you could call him almost like a Carl Anthony Towns light, even though he's like 10 years older than him. Uh, it's a cool little transition for him because he's played with sort of a similar system with similar types of players and athleticism, and I think they're going to play a similar offense here. And you mentioned it too, like he's played with all-star talent before. He knows everybody's worried about who's going to shoot the ball and who's going to lose shots. Well, Teague has played with a bunch of guys who shoot the ball a lot with on a team with Paul Millsap and Kyle Korver and Al Horford. All those guys need shots. And so he's played in a system where he has to share the ball, and he averaged over 16 points a game in that system. So I think he's going to do just fine offensively. And on the defensive side, you're right. I think he's kind of a Hail Mary guy where he's going to get the really nice block or the really nice steal, or he's going to get flat-out beat. I don't know if there's any in-between fatigue, but I do think you're able to hide him amongst a bunch of other good defensive guys. And, two, if Towns becomes a really good defensive guy midway through the season, you're looking at Teague maybe going against the fourth-best offensive guy on the other team. So I'm not sure that that's going to be as big of an issue as people maybe made it out to be when he was signed. Yeah, I mean, Cat taking the fourth best guy will, I mean, that or the third best guy, it'll all depend on matchups, right? Because Cat's going to be guarding the four or the five most of the time. He's a okay team defender just based off Atlanta Riders I've talked to. So I'm not too worried about There were just some plays on Saturday where, like, he was screened and instead of, like, staying with his man or switching, he would just kind of do neither. And I'm hoping that 
that's something that gets altered with time. Working with Tom Thibodeau, I'm assuming, will uh, help with that. But, no, I totally agree with what you were saying about him playing with other All-Stars. The, the weird thing about him, and I wrote about this at a Wolf Among Wolves, was last year, which was considered a down year for him in Indiana, he actually shot better off the catch-and-shoot than ever before. Even uh, that really good year with Atlanta when they won 60 games, his catch-and-shoot numbers from three were off. And I think the Wolves are going to be expecting him to do a lot of that this year. He's going to run plenty of pick-and-roll, but Cat, Wiggins, and Butler are going to be the guys with the ball facilitating a lot of the offense. So uh, Teague's going to need to rely on – or the Wolves, rather, are going to need to rely on Teague to be able to hit that shot when they – uh, when they throw him the ball. Well, that's something I wrote about too in the piece on the Timberwolves looking for their, their perimeter shooting. And all these articles are on zone coverage, cold Omaha. You, all the listeners should go check those out after they're done listening to the show. But when he was in Indiana, I think his defense dipped a little bit, but his offense definitely didn't. And he was really good alongside Paul George. So I don't expect his offense to really be a problem at all, even when he's playing with Towns and Wiggins and Butler. And moving on, you did mention in this article, too, your knee-jerk reactions, that Butler only played 12 minutes. Do you think that's just because it's a preseason game, or do you think Thibodeau is actually thinking about maybe resting these guys a little bit more than we <laughs> typically see Thibodeau. I know this is a this is a very knee-jerk reaction, and it feels weird saying it, but is Thibodeau actually conscientious, conscientious of p- the minutes that his players are playing this year because they want to go to the playoffs and have some guys who are ready for the playoffs and not just getting to the playoffs? No, 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 no. Uh, if you remember when the Bulls teams of the late 2000s, early 2010s were going to the playoffs. Luol Deng, Derek Rose, Joakim Noah, those guys were all in the top ten in minutes. That's not going to change now. Jimmy Butler eventually was that guy too. Uh, Tom Thibodeau hasn't changed anything. He is aware, I mean, I'm not in his head, but just based off this game, he's aware that Jimmy Butler doesn't need the preseason to be ready to play a regular season and hopefully eventually play out basketball. Uh, But when the regular season comes, I don't know how much Jamal Crawford we're going to see. I don't know how much Shabazz we're going to see, although based on that first game, maybe we'll see a little bit more of him than we expected if he keeps that up. That would have been my sixth knee-jerk reaction. Shabazz Muhammad had a great game off the bench. But, no, there's absolutely no way that they're going to manage Jimmy Butler's minutes in a way that would make, say, uh, Greg Popovich happy. And then just speaking of – just speaking of minutes, Tyus Jones only with eight minutes. Did you want to see him play more minutes, or did you want to see those starters get some time together finally on a on a basketball floor that wasn't practice? No, I don't think it was so much that the starters were getting minutes because in the fourth quarter, like none of them played other than Taj at the very end because Tip got so frustrated with the Bielitsa play on defense. Uh, I think he's testing out Aaron Brooks and Tyus, which is why you saw Brooks play at the end. Uh, he wanted to see both of them get some time with the second team to figure out who's going to be the backup. Uh, my assumption initially is that Tyus will get the job. Brooks is out of the league last year because he's kind of lost his touch in the NBA, but uh, I wrote about it a little bit. or I didn't write about it. I take that back. You wrote about it a little bit. He won most improved player a few years ago. He can play. It's just a matter of whether or, whether or not he's better than Tyus at this point. Uh, so I think that's the only reason Tyus played eight minutes. I, my assumption is especially in that last preseason game uh, against the Warriors that you're going to see uh, far less Teague and far more Brooks and Tyus getting different looks with different players, different rotations, et cetera, to figure out who's going to play off the bench. 
is there a scenario you can see where Aaron Brooks actually does work his way into real minutes? And does that scenario have anything else than really good three-point shooting in it? So if he's a really good three-point shooter, does he automatically get more minutes? Or is there a way that he can get more minutes outside of three-point shooting? Uh, the only way he's going to get more minutes is if he plays better than Tyus Jones, which I assume won't happen, but I know he's been a Tibbs guy in the past. I'm assuming that's part of the reason why he's here now. Uh, but yeah, it's going to mostly rely on him just flat out being a better point guard than Tyus in more, more ways than just three point shooting. He'll need to facilitate the ball. Well, he didn't do that very well in the first preseason game. Uh, his primary focus should be scoring and shooting because that's what he does best. Uh, but it's really just going to be him playing better than Tyus. It, point guard's probably the most thin position that the Wolves are in right now. Tyus got to be among the bottom five backup point guards in the league, or Brooks, depending on who. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but the uh, yeah, the primary focus for Brooks is just going to have to be playing well enough to get minutes over Tyus Jones, which is realistic. But uh, I would still predict highest at this point and then just taking a a little bit broader scope of kind of the Timberwolves you mentioned in your article that you don't want to you don't want to rush to giving this team a playoff spot already obviously the west is really stacked but and you don't want to give them a playoff spot already just because they won one game but it was encouraging to see that they did the starting five did look pretty good together and there wasn't any major issues as far as one player maybe taking too many shots or one guy wanting to take the ball down the court every time. They looked like they were gelling together thus far as well as you can expect this team to gel together in the first preseason game. Yeah, and I think the most encouraging thing for me is, and I'll preface it by saying the Lakers are going to be very bad this year. Not good, (laughs) very bad. Uh, But even the second team, uh, they lost the lead a little bit. It was down to like seven or eight in the fourth quarter. But the Wolves bench outscored the Lakers starters, which is a good sign. The Wolves bench is not the deepest bench in the league by any stretch. When Gorgie Jang and Shabazz Muhammad are your kind of go-to scorers off the bench, there's room for improvement. There's some to be desired, but right now I'm feeling okay about them just on the simple fact that their bench looked pretty good. I'm not even worried about their starters. Past years, they've had worse starting lineups that have been top 10 starting lineups in the league, but then the bench would come in and the lead would be wiped out. So I'm relying on their bench uh, to step up and actually uh, be productive for the Wolves this year. That's what's going to get them in the playoffs more than their starters. And obviously guys like Taj Gibson, Jamal Crawford, they're going to help that. But another knee-jerk reaction could be maybe they need to get another bench piece and maybe move that Utah pick for another guy? And if so, do you think they need another wing? Do you want them to get another point guard? If you could do anything with the with the Wolves back half of the roster in that pick, what do you move and who do you move it for to maybe strengthen the bench? That's tricky because they don't really have much cap room to work with. So moving... The pick for a player doesn't really work unless that player is on a minimum deal right now. So the problem here is you'd have to either package the pick with a player or you'd have to sign somebody for the minimum. So I know that they tried to deal that pick with Cole Aldrich in an effort to move some cap space and sign uh, different guys. C.J. Miles was a guy that was brought up early in the offseason. But uh, 
just straight up, I don't think it's going to work right now. As far as positions go, I'm okay with Tyus Jones. I'd really like to see them improve at the wing. My guess is they try to go for another point guard at this point, though, because I don't think Jamal Crawford signs here without some sort of guarantee he's going to get some playing time from Tibbs. Shabazz, I think, is going to prove his worth as a backup wing. I'm not sure that Tibbs at this point is sold on Tyus by any stretch. So if they were to make a deal, my guess is it would be for a point guard, but that remains to be seen at this point. It's going to be tricky regardless. Well, and too, if you're looking at point guards, it can't just be uh, your stereotypical point guard who's going to take the ball down the court, right? You want a guy who is going to be comfortable playing off ball too, which is why Teague is such a great signing and why guys like Tyus Jones fit in well is that they can play off the ball. Whereas if you go around the league, there's a ton of point guards. I don't think a ton of them are really good when they're off the ball, especially on offense. I think a lot of those guys need to have the ball in their hands to be really effective. And so that's another thing you have to think about too is Thibodeau's done a really good job crafting a team that is going to work together, I think at least. And Mm -hmm. so when you go out and get another bench piece, you don't want to spend a pick on somebody who's going to mess up the chemistry on the bench. And yes, it is on the bench, but like you're saying, that can be the difference between blowing a lead in the third quarter and saving one for the for the starters to come back into the fourth quarter and really build on. Yeah, my ideal guy, like my ideal point guard for a team with three stars like the Wolves is George Hill. Like I always go back and revert back to him because he can run an offense, he can bring the ball up, but he's also a great catch-and-shoot guy. He's a good defensive player. Uh, there aren't too many guys like that that come off the bench if you have that kind of skill set, you generally start and you can't be had for a late first-round pick because uh, I don't know if we've mentioned it, but that first-round pick is actually Oklahoma City's, and that pick is not going to be great this year. Uh, so getting a guy that is better than Ty is better than Aaron Brooks for that pick is probably impossible, but I agree that the ideal guy at the point on this team is a guy that just kind of brings the ball up but then can play within the flow of the offense, play off of stars. That's the type of player I think they're going to be looking for for this team going forward if their core really is going to be Butler, Wiggins, and Cat. they got to sign Wiggins to that extension because, I don't know, that's starting to get a little ridiculous. But uh, that's <laughs> sort of the mold of the point guard that I think they have to get to. Would that be probably your biggest concern coming off of the game is that they've played a preseason game and Wiggins still hasn't signed? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. He's it's hard to really figure out why exactly he isn't signing. His lack of an agent, I'm assuming, has something to do with it. He's just not worried about it. At media day, he seemed anything but worried about it. But, yeah, it's it's just it's getting to the point where it's like, why? Why haven't you signed yet? Like, what, what's, what's stopping him at this point? It's so much money. I, I would want to sign just to say that I'm worth $148 million. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing I'm is that sure. they're past the haggling part of your contract and they figured out the price and the years. And so basically the thing standing between Wiggins and the Wolves in this contract is just Wiggins' lack of urgency. Yeah, yeah. He just seems so lax about it. He seems so Canadian about it. <laughs> I don't know exactly what the deal is with it. Uh, I've got nothing. Like, I, I really don't know what the what the holdup is. If he's comfortable with it, then whatever, but... If I were him, I'd be wanting to sign that contract as quickly as possible. Although, I mean, for what it's worth from Tom Thibodeau's standpoint, 
a player's value dips significantly once they're big money players unless they live up to it. And at that point, they're basically untouchable. If you're a max guy and you're living up to your contract, that player or that GM, rather, isn't going to want to trade you. If you're a young, budding star like Wiggins on a rookie contract, you still have trade value. I'm not suggesting the Wolves should be looking to trade Wiggins by any stretch. But the second he signs that contract, he becomes uh, Tibbs' problem as far as making sure he gets to the point of becoming a uh, a star player, a true max star player that's lived up to that money. And then, obviously, just one game, but we're excited as as beat reporters for the Timberwolves. We're really excited to to be underway with actual basketball, even if it is just preseason. So after one game, if you just have to give a grade on just their performance coming out, as far as how they looked from top to bottom on the roster, how they played together, what is your grade for this one preseason game for the Timberwolves? A one-game preseason grade. Uh, It's been a long summer. I'm ready for basketball to start. I'm ready to be grading and evaluating. Uh, I'm going to give them a B. I think they played well overall, but they looked very preseason-ish at points as to be expected. Like, they didn't look like... They, there are some games where sometimes you'll watch a team and it doesn't even look like the preseason. They look just way ahead of schedule. The Denver Nuggets are one of those teams. They played the same night. They didn't look like a team that uh, was playing in the preseason. They looked ready to go. The Wolves, just, they, I mean, they just took a few bad shots. They passed the ball really well. They uh, looked like they were already gelling, as you said, but it definitely still looks like a preseason game. I, I would give an A grade if they looked way ahead of schedule. Uh, they don't. They look right on schedule, so I'm going to give them a B. And what about is, you? I I was going to say that B, maybe B minus category. I think that they. I was really impressed with the bench, just because that's one of my fears always when you're building a team is you've built this great starting five, kind of like the the Wizards, and then you look at your bench and you've got nothing there. So as far as the bench, just out being able to outscore the Lakers starters and having not only solid defense but some consistent shooting more or less from from the bench was really encouraging because that's the the part I was really watching the most and will be watching throughout preseason is I know these these starting five they're I know it sounds it's a kind of a cliche but they're just too good to to not gel together and to not be good as far as the bench that's where I was concerned and that looked pretty good so you're right they do look preseason-esque and they do look like they're definitely needing these reps to just get ready for the season but they also look like a team that's well on their way to to being a a playoff contender maybe getting to the playoffs and that's what I like to see from and like I was saying the bench looks good yeah and I mean I've written about it but this team should make the playoffs like they're they're good enough just top to bottom they're I think right now on paper the fifth or sixth best team depending on how you view Denver uh but you never know in the NBA you never know how Jimmy Butler is going to gel with the team you never know how Taj Gibson is going to do you never know what's going to happen in terms of health uh guys if you watched the Vikings game yesterday you know what I'm talking about (laughs) but uh this team should make the playoffs but I'm just not ready to crown them until midway through the season when I see what they look like with real tangible regular season results i'm just not ready to do it i haven't seen the playoffs since i was oh god 14 i don't even want to know how old you were the last time the wolves were in the playoffs it was a long uh, time ago yeah man uh so i'm just not ready to do it 
partially out of fear, but partially out of just <laughs> keeping it realistic. Well, yeah, and you always have those bitter Laker fans, too, who pull up the, the Sports Illustrated cover of Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant, and Steve Nash, and they say, this is what happens when you when you build and get too many All-Stars on a team. And I don't think that's going to happen for this Timberwolves team, but it is important to just remember in the back of your head, no matter what happens the rest of the preseason, that this team does need to get on the same page in actual basketball. And it will probably take at least 10 to, 10 to 20 games in the beginning of the season, and that's okay. That's just part of the growing process. It's a long NBA season, and it's a marathon, not a sprint, and you've got to be – taking your time with some of this gelling stuff and not trying to rush it and maybe compromise yeah. some fundamentals in that process. Totally. I mean, I, like the Brooklyn SI cover is the same thing, but the difference is with the Wolves, their entire core is under 30. The Lakers and the Nets, those cores, the KG, Brooke Lopez, Paul Pierce, Darren Williams, and then Steve Dash, Paul Gasol, Kobe, and Dwight, they had dudes that were over 35 as part yeah. of their like championship core. So that's big, uh, but, like, I don't know. When I first looked at the uh, – when I was first watching that preseason game, the first thing I noticed, like, I just looked at the top – the starting lineup, and I thought, like, wow, this team is – they're pretty good just based on their names alone. <laughs> and then I saw Jeff Teague play. I'm like, all right, yeah, shoot, he is pretty good. I forgot. And then I saw Taj Gibson get some rebounds, hit a corner three. I'm like, okay, this team should make the playoffs. It's really that simple. They're good enough to make the playoffs. They're good enough to maybe even get out of the first round if they overachieve a little bit. But they have to prove it first. It's just like any other team with a new, well, newish coach, a new star player. They have to prove it first because there are teams that have had similar, if not higher, expectations that have completely flopped. Absolutely. So B grades from us, uh, writing for the Tim Rules on zone coverage. Tim, you got anything you want to plug? Any upcoming articles that you want to give a shout out to? Anything like that? Uh, nothing. I mean, we we just basically did a massive plug on the last thing that I wrote. Um, I would say to go check out your ball handlers position preview article that we just posted. I'm working on one bigger thing right now, but I can't get into it right now because Ooh, the tease. It's, it's in its infant stages. Yeah, so I'll tease, but I will not plug. I love it. So be on the lookout for something big, probably one of the better things he's written in his career from Tim coming soon to YouTube. Well, well, we're going to hold off on that, but yeah, maybe. Hey, we're going to tease. I'm just going to go all the way. Yeah, it's it's going to win a Pulitzer Prize. (laughs) I'm ready. I already have a speech written out for the award ceremony. I'm ready to go. I'm expecting to be the keynote speaker at your graduation ceremony at MSU at this point. I'll just throw it out there. I cannot wait. I'm I'm just trying to get B grades myself right now is what I'm trying to <laughs> There you go. So you're you're like your goal academically is the Wolves first preseason. <laughs> yep, that's it. That that's probably as good as it gets for Colton the student is Wolves <laughs> preseason grades. That's I like it. That's the ceiling. Alrighty. He's Tim. I'm Colton. We'll be bringing you Timberwolves coverage all season long. Thank you again for listening to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.